Hello, and welcome to a special issue, Wiley's podcast for societies about all things scholarly publishing. I'm Anna Ayler. In this episode, we'll listen in on the talk given at our November 2020 virtual Wiley Society Executive Seminar by Raj Pandya, director of the Thriving Earth Exchange at the American Geophysical Union. The Thriving Earth Exchange is all about advancing community solutions. They help scientists and community leaders work together to solve local challenges related to natural resources, climate change, and natural hazards. As we continue to go through the pandemic crisis, the AGU's Thriving Earth Exchange is a powerful model for solving big problems with ideas that are rooted in the communities that are most affected. Here's Raj. One of the things I really want to begin with this is the idea that crisis prep begins well before the crisis and it extends well after the crisis. If science societies want to be allies for society at large in figuring out and handling crisis, we have to be allies before and after these crises occur. And um, ironically, this is a lesson that I learned uh, myself in, in the middle of a crisis. Hurricane Katrina. August 29th, 2005. I'm a meteorologist by background, and this was, this was in some ways a pinnacle of meteorological achievement, right? It was a well-forecast storm. Uh, we had the path roughly right, we had the trajectory uh, essentially correct, and if anything, we slightly underestimated the um, intensity of the storm, but it was, it was three days in advance, really good forecast. It was also a good forecast in a larger sort of earth system science sense. Um, people had been warning about the vulnerability, uh, not just earth systems, um, um, sort of a social science sense as well. People have been warning about the vulnerability of communities in New Orleans. People had been aware of the uh, potential for devastation, um, the risk of the levees being overtopped as climate change drove um, kinds of changes. And so we have two two timescales of really good science and a pretty tragic outcome. And it, and it started me wondering about what's the moral responsibility of science? Does our responsibility as science societies, as scientists end with doing good work, uh, doing good science, or does it extend into our responsibility as partners in humanity into translating that work into action, um, using that work to protect people? The other thing that became clear for me and Katrina is that Crises like this both reveal and exacerbate inequity. They reveal longstanding inequities and they exacerbate those inequities. None of this is unique to Katrina. We're seeing this in um, we're seeing this in the case of the pandemic. We've seen this in other kinds of natural hazards, other kinds of crises throughout the globe. The question I sort of what it did for me was it sort of raised this existential question: like, what can science do differently? What can we as scientists do differently? How can these skills that I've that I've developed as a scientist be useful in a broader, broader context. Um, and, and so for me, that started to push to a new approach. So the new approach, I think, is something that we've been calling it at, at AGU, the Thriving Earth, and, and through the Thriving Earth Exchange Community Science. It's an approach that moves uh, beyond basic research and towards solutions, but doesn't denigrate and doesn't dishonor the importance of sustained investment in that basic research. It, it tries to really tell the story of how discovery and application are intimately linked and in feedback to one another. I think it's, a, it's an approach that tries to be up to the challenges of now, challenges that pull multiple disciplines together um, and reach across disciplines, and challenges that integrate not just scientific disciplines, but other ways of knowing and other ways of being and other ways of making a decision. 
um, making decisions and planning actions. It's also an approach, I think, that tackles issues of equity and justice, issues that maybe have been um, underattended to in the history of science. And they're broader than issues of just who participates in science, although they include that. They also include issues of how science allies itself with um, priorities around justice and equity. So this idea of community science, um, AGU's been investing in this now for about five years. Um, it centers around helping connect scientists with scientists, our members, they're one of our greatest assets. It's how we help those members connect with local community leaders who are working on local issues, whether it's a city leader or an informal leader, everything from cleaning up a pond to developing a climate action plan. And we help the two work productively together to, to do science that advances that community priority and contributes back into the enterprise of science. So it's a mutually beneficial, mutually learning kind of relationship. And our theory of change is very simple. If more people do this kind of work, if more of our members have the chance to engage in this kind of work, if more community leaders have the chance to have good experiences working with scientists, they can then go out and become advocates for increasing that kind of change. They can become advocates for the power of science. They can become advocates for the for the ability of scientists and communities to work together. And they can even become advocates for change within the scientific community to make this kind of work more common. So three really fundamental concepts about community science, the way we practice it. These have emerged from watching these 150 projects, learning what works, uh, learning what doesn't. First, we begin with community priorities. Every community science project begins by sitting down with a community leader, with a community group, and asking them about their priorities and aspirations and visions. It's intentionally asset-based, right? This isn't about scientists coming in and telling people what's wrong in their community. It's about scientists inquiring about what's right in the community and how science can contribute to making those right things even more right. A very concrete example of this, I said earlier, I'm a meteorologist. We started this project um, working with meteorological weather, meteorological and hydrological weather services in Africa to buttress their forecasting capability. As a meteorologist, it was pretty clear to me that that was a self-evident good. Why wouldn't you want stronger meteorological services? But in talking with folks, um, people in leadership positions throughout different places in Africa, we quickly realized that the higher priority for most people was public health. And, and, and in particular, the region we worked in, which was sort of northern Ghana, southern Burkina Faso, there was a real concern about meningitis and the fact that meningitis was endemic. It flared out in periodic epidemics. The vaccines that were available were, were not great. And so the strategy was one of containment. Even with that containment strategy, often they ran out of vaccines. What everyone who lived in the area knew was that meningitis was associated with dry season, that it ended with the onset of rains. And so our project became, because of beginning with community priorities, better understanding how we could offer predictions about the onset of rains and the, inset, and the, and the real high relative humidity that preceded those rains to support the on the ground work of public health officials. It was research that was driven by community insight and responded to community priorities. Community science also ends with community priorities. It doesn't stop with publishing the paper. It thinks about how that paper influences action, how that paper, how that result becomes useful. 
Um, here's an example from New Orleans. We worked with community groups that were very interested in blight. They, they had seen, you know, neighborhoods were devastated and some people chose not to rebuild. So what do you do with those vacant lots? How do you keep them from becoming a drag on the community? And, and the answer the community came up with working with scientists, working with earth scientists and biologists was this, it's a rain garden. It's a place that becomes a sort of public resource, a public space. It holds water during times of flooding. And it's part of a larger transition that the city was making away from thinking about how it removed water from the city and towards how it embraced water. And it turns out that, that geologically, that's a really sound strategy because retaining water slows subsidence and decreases long-term vulnerability to flooding. On a neighborhood scale, retaining water creates these spaces. And in the science engagement framework, each of these spaces, you can't see it, but they're marked with a bench, an orange bench that's accompanied by a plaque. It's a place for people to sit and reflect and enjoy. It's also a place for people to learn about how science um, contributes to the creation of this space and what the space is about and what it's meant to do. Finally, I think community science has this notion that, that science is a, is a human right. Every community deserves the right to ask and answer their scientific questions. Under, under the systems we live in now, many communities aren't able to exercise that right. That right is disproportionately distributed. And so one of the things we as science societies can do, one of the things community science can do is foreground the least privilege. It can take an active stance around justice thinking about who has access to science and how we can enable folks who haven't had access to science to have access to science. And I think that relates to an idea about where science can go beyond thinking about diversity and equity and inclusion, all very important things within the scientific community and start to think about how the sciences can be allies for justice. And then finally, thinking about how we build on this, what could we do together as a, as a group of science societies? I think we've seen through this thread, um, through this conversation about the pandemic, that this isn't a single discipline, right? This is as much a social science issue as a physical science issue, as a biological science issue. And community science, because it begins with community priorities, sort of emphasizes that. So what if we work together to expand the scope of expertise available to communities? What if we built stronger alliances together with non-scientific organizations? Um, there are amazing nonprofits that do incredible on the ground work. I don't know that they're interested in talking to each and every science society, but I think they would welcome the chance to collaborate with a coalition of science societies that could help connect them to the right experts to answer their questions. Um, another thing, it's we don't often think of ourselves as, as folks with privilege, but I think in as scientists, we occupy a privileged state in many of the societies we live in and our societies occupy a privileged state. We're, we're at tables in discussions um, that, that not everybody has gets invited to the table. What if we used our access to open doors for some of the communities that haven't had access? And finally, it, this is amazing to me, Science, scientists in general are both drivers and responders to the culture. And I think we focus a lot on our notion of responding to culture, but we also drive the culture. We can create rewards, we can create publications, we can, we can train the next generation, we can make choices about what that looks like. We can actually retell 
old stories and reframe old narratives in ways that emphasize inclusivity. That's an enormous amount of cultural power that we can exercise and we can exercise that for these kinds of things. Many scientific and scholarly societies are already using their access and privilege to open doors and share more expertise with the communities where researchers also live and work. Just as the Thriving Earth Exchange does, though, this shouldn't be about telling people what's wrong in the community. Instead, scientists asking about what is right in the community and how science can contribute to making those things even more right is an incredibly powerful model for more inclusive scientific solutions, whether those are solutions for a pandemic or, as Raj said, just cleaning up the local pond. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time. For Wiley, I'm Anna Ayler, and you can find more episodes and learn when new episodes are released by subscribing in iTunes or wherever you like to listen. You can get more news and information on society publishing from Wiley on Twitter by following us at Wiley and Research and on our website, wiley.com slash network slash society leaders. Our theme music was produced by Medine, and this episode was edited by Dennis Velasco. Thanks for listening.